The reason why I think Cody Mel is pretty safe is if you do it this way. If you give them an easy way to opt out, right? If you have a link in that people can click or they can just reply and say, hey, stop emailing me and you stop immediately. That's the first thing you've got to have. The second part you've got to have is relevancy. So you can't be emailing something that's completely outside of the person's role or has nothing to do with it, right? If it's not relevant to their business and what they do in their work, you shouldn't be emailing them. This is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast. This is episode 1025. Today, we're going a little corporate, actually. I've even put on a collar for today's episode. Uh, We're talking about unlocking the secret to B2B lead generation, why top companies are betting on cold emails. And of course, I've brought along Will Wang to talk about that. G'day, Will. Hey, James. Great to be back on here. You are a regular guest. We love every episode that uh, we've had you on. I get such great feedback. This is such an important part of the market. I do believe you're one of the best in the world at this. And you've been helping a lot of people who've been tuning in to implement some of the things we've talked about. And of course, there aren't that many people talking about cold emails because it's a big, scary, frightening, difficult, unknown thing. And of course, we really get used to having warm leads and hot leads coming in. You know, we can run ads, we can do podcasts, and we can have people coming in. But I've found out uh, that big companies, almost all the big companies, are doing cold outreach, which might be a shock to some people. Mm. It's really funny too because, you know, when I first started my cold email journey, I never would have expected it, right? I thought it'd be the scrappy internet marketers doing this kind of thing. But more and more, and more recently even, we've had some really big corporates come on board where if I dropped their names, everyone would know who they are. And you wouldn't think that they, a company like them and with their brand would need to go to market cold emails. But they absolutely do. So looking forward to diving into this one, James. This is kind of my specialty, but I kind of also missed the memo on the college shirt. We're actually uh, <laughs> traveling on the road at the moment. So <laughs> You're in uh, New Zealand skiing, apparently. We, we are. We are. We're, we're snowboarding here. But um, yeah, taking time out to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is cold email. I love it. If you're, um, if you're wanting to get more time away from the, the job, then you want to be looking into business models like Will has and like I do. It's, this virtual business is a good idea. And things like cold emails can really help that because a lot of people, they say, look, I just need more leads. And if we're not going to sit back and wait for leads to come to us, if we're not going to run paid traffic campaigns or we are doing it, but we want more, then cold outreach is a way to go. I remember actually way back when I had a job in the early days of a job, like half my lifetime ago, I worked for big companies like Vodafone and Mercedes-Benz and BMW, and they all did cold outreach. They all did. You know, these are huge marketing companies. They've got massive presence. You could see ads on TV. You hear about them on radio. You see them in the newspaper. They're written up in magazines, but they still did cold outreach. It was actually one of my key performance indicators when I was selling at Mercedes-Benz. We had to go out. It was called PMA, Prime Market Activity. We had to go into our market and knock on doors. We had to outreach. And it might sound crazy, right? But in the, the place where I worked, which was uh, in the uh, sort of a built-up area of Sydney called Zetland, there were lots of manufacturing mm. offices there. There were sign makers, there were trailer makers, etc. These people often had lovely cars for them or their wives at home or their husbands, if it was the female running the business, got to say that these days. And they were actually potentially buyers and they may not have realized it were just around the corner. So sometimes cold outreach is simply just letting people know that we exist in a really nice, friendly way that's not offensive. Could we just talk about 
why cold email? If we're already getting traffic or we've got other ways, is cold email even a consideration? Yeah, so there's two key reasons and I'll break down both. And what I see from both the big corporate companies that we work with to run the cold emails and also some of the smaller companies that we consult to to get their own system up and running. So the two primary reasons, one is around performance of paid advertising. So we've seen a massive shift in terms of performance that companies get. You know, they're getting less leads for more money and less conversions off the paid advertising that they used to run. And this isn't just smaller companies. It's massive, you know, multi, multinational corporate companies here. And so we've actually had clients that come through to us and their budget for advertising is in the range of 500,000 to a million dollars a month. They're saying, Hey, we're seeing less results. We need to supplement this with cold outreach. We need better leads or bigger leads or high quality leads. And if you think about how B2B sales goes, the people that we're targeting aren't often sitting in front of Facebook, for example, and buying something off a lead magnet that they get off Facebook. So one of the core reasons that cold emails work so well in the B2B space is because we can get so targeted into the bigger and better accounts and open a conversation and relationship with them. So that's kind of the first reason. The second reason, well, actually, that it's kind of a mix of both, right? First of all, the performance of ads aren't what it used to be. So they've got to shift budget into other activities that produce a better return on investment. The second is actually around the targeting. So when we run ads, even on something like LinkedIn, which you know we've run a whole bunch of ads for, I think we at our highest point, we were doing about $50,000 to $100,000 a month on LinkedIn ads. Even with those targeting options, you've got to kind of luck out in a way because not everybody is on those platforms all the time. And definitely the bigger corporate you know, CEOs aren't really clicking through and buying from there. So that's the kind of second reason and probably more important reason, just for the fact that you can get so super targeted and really get in front of the right person, the right email. I mean, funnily enough, as much as you would think so, because you know, uh, even smaller companies are catching on to the idea of using EAs, some big corporate, their CEOs and leaders don't have EAs to block emails. So you can't get directly to the right person. I love it. That reminds me of when I used to call up the customer after five o'clock because I knew their assistant's gone home exactly. and they always answer the phone. So what about the product or the service side of it? Like how important is it to have that as an underpinning to this campaign? Like can great marketing overcome having a reasonable product or like we often hear about the better marketers make all the sales, even if they have a shitty product, mm. but is it still good to have a good product or service? Yeah, I actually find it essential these days because, you know, the internet's made the world a lot smaller. So even if you have, you know, a really good product, you obviously need a good marketing, but if you've got a crappy product, the harder you market that, the more your brand gets damaged in market. So for example, there's other agencies out there now that if you said their name or spoke their name in front of companies who've been around for a while, they'll run for the hills and rightly so. It's getting to the point where information just goes across forums, across Facebook groups so quickly that you need a good product and good reputation. And I've seen it firsthand in terms of data where if you have a good company with a good reputation, those emails land and get such better results than a company with, let's just say, a reputation that's not quite as you know where it needs to be. Yeah, that's important. Um, what would be some of the downsides of cold email you know, that people would, would have, even if it's a myth? So I think one of the downsides, this is actually a really funny story because one of the biggest tech companies here in Australia um, changed the cold emailing practices a little while ago. And the biggest downside is that when they stuffed up how they used to do cold emails really well, now they don't. And because the cold emails aren't hitting home, so many people on LinkedIn are talking about the bad cold email they got and copy and pasting and you know screen sharing the, the, the hours they're receiving. So the downside is 
if you do it wrong and you have a good market reputation, it can actually damage that reputation. So that's the downside. You have to do it properly, which is kind of the reason why our clients come through to us to make sure that first of all, they don't damage their reputation. And secondly, they don't lose clients to chase new leads. Nice. And you've been teaching customers to do this themselves and you also do it for people, right? There's two different areas that you've been specializing on this. Yeah, definitely. So we kind of cover both depending on size of the business, you know, the sales process and free internal things. Now you're going to be offering some kind of template or giveaway today? Yep. So um, over the past couple of months, we've sent about 1.23 million cold emails directly for our clients. So we've got some pretty good data. We've used the data to go back and look at some of the more effective cold emails that people can send without really getting too deep into the subject. Now, it's not the very best performing emails, obviously, because there's a lot of context behind it. There's a lot of different positioning. And uh, it's kind of like the reason why, you know, when you say look, look at the 2080, we get paid to do the full 100 for our clients. Now, with just 20% of, you know, what we do as a part of the 100, people can sometimes get 80% of the results. So we package up the 2080 of the cold emails into a template pack and people can download it from us. So how do we get that? Uh, best way to do it is to shoot me an email to info at growthlabswithaz.com and I'll just reply back to you with the templates that you can just download. Love it. Now, let's talk about targeting because I remember when I was an SEO business, sometimes people would outreach me trying to sell me SEO services and I had, <laughs> had to think that wasn't very well researched. Mm. It is the kind of one you'd sort of, back then I might have screenshotted it and posted <laughs> to Facebook saying, you know, maybe they could work harder on their targeting. How essential is the right target audience? Yep. So in terms of the coding my process, we really look at three key parts of it, right? If you get these three key parts right, generally you'll be in a pretty good position. So the first one is actually targeting. So that is by far and large the most important part. If you get the targeting right, well, then you worry about the messaging or you know the email itself. Once you get that right, then you worry about the nurture or the sales process or the offer. But targeting is the very first step because you know if you're if you're trying to sell ice and Eskimo, for example. That's a really difficult thing to do. But should you? Should you sell ice to an Eskimo? That's it. You shouldn't, right? But that's the problem that most people miss. They just go, I'm just going to blanket target every single business I can get my hands on. Even if I'm an SEO provider trying to sell to other businesses, that's when you get SEO people emailing SEO people going, hey, can I do your SEO? That's when you get issues. I, I don't get a million of these emails. I get people saying, hey, can I do your legion for you? And it's like, well, if you spent literally two seconds on my website, <laughs> you would have seen that we're a legion, you were a competitor. So there's no reason why you should be doing that. Uh, so that's one of the key things that a lot of people miss. That's crazy. So when you're actually coming out with the perfect target audience, then from what I understand, you're building a prospect list. Mm. How do you actually go about building a list? Yeah, so there's two steps to building a really good list. One is we actually list out a couple of different entry points. Now, depending on your sales process, for example, we sell to corporates. So I know that in our sales process, there's a few different people I need to speak to. I need to speak to the heads of growth. I need to speak to potentially CEO if it's the right type of company. Sometimes it's, it's too big. CEOs, there might be someone in procurement that we need to speak to to get our invoices signed off. There might be other people in the marketing team who will actually be working with us. So first step is understanding the entire process and understanding from start to finish, who are the actual people that will be using the product or using the service? When we know who those people are, it's actually, depending on how deep you need to get, it's a pretty straightforward process. So the software out there that you can use for free to try and guess people's emails and then to verify the emails. And you just need the first name, last name, and company domain. But we go way beyond that. So we teach and we do for our clients 
how to personalize. So for example, we'll go through and look at what have they posted on LinkedIn lately. We'll look at what podcast episodes they've done. We'll even go so deep as in, is to listen to podcast episodes and take out key points that we reference in the emails. So the more personalization, the more research you can do on each and every single person, the higher your success rate is going to be. Yeah, I do get a lot of that. Hey, I enjoyed your episode with Will Wang talking about cold email. I especially love the tip about building a, a database by uh, listening to a piece of content. So you can tell that someone's done that. I wonder, are there other ways that you teach that are not commonly known? Uh, so we leverage a lot of events. So for example, if I'm going to an event, I would email people I want to speak to before, during, and after the event. That's one that's worked really, really well. It's clever. Um, or, you know, if there's people we have within the industry or people that I want to speak to who are kind of like our VIP or A-list targets, I might even go and create an event for them to come to, whether it's like a lunch and learn or something like that. So when we do the emails, we like to look at relevance and we like to look at, you know, is this something that our target list is going to be excited about? And if not, well, we need to find something that they do get excited about to have for, for the emails. So we've talked about the targeting and making it really relevant and, and now it's going to be received. What are we actually putting in the email? Like what do we want to happen as a result of the person receiving that email? Yeah, that's something that's always changing. And when we first had this conversation, might have been about four or five years ago now, James, when we first talked about cold emailing back then, it was actually a much simpler um, environment where we could ask for a phone call and it wasn't a 30-minute phone call because 30 minutes for a complete stranger is just too long. Most of our emails used to be geared towards, hey, can we jump on a quick call? Make sure this is relevant for you. Make sure this is something that you know we're worth talking about. We're finding that more and more people are getting a lot busier. So our emails are a little bit different nowadays. So there's a whole bunch of different angles and calls to actions. My um, top call to action for ourselves at the moment is actually just to give them content, give them value first. So we'll email to build an email list to build a database without the expectation of actually getting on a phone call until they've been nurtured enough. So it's great because when I do get onto calls with people we've called emailed, it's a very, very easy sales process, but it takes a lot longer to get results from. Now, the flip side of that is you can still ask for that 10 or 15 minute call. Like we still have clients that do that and it still works, right? Whether it's like a demo or a sales call, it still can work. But the percentage of people responding to them, it's getting a little bit smaller and smaller. But that being said, the people who do respond are higher quality or more likely to buy. That makes sense. Yeah. And it's just between markets too. I mean, we're in the what I classify as a bit of a bear market at the moment. So a bit more negativity, a bit more um, you know, fear in the market. So we're finding that the emails that are going to the 3% of the market who are actually looking are working better, but the 10% who might be open to a solution, that's shrunk a little bit. It's interesting you say a bear market. What sort of indicators do you have to determine that? So we look at our data um, that's aggregated every month and we look at response rates across different industries, clients. It gives us a pretty early indicator of you know, what's working, what's not. What I've seen from the bear market so far is that people are more willing to open emails. So our open rates have actually increased, but the reply rates on certain campaigns have actually dropped. And we actually work really closely with our clients to track the sales data. So we see that of all these people we've pushed for into the pipeline, who's actually closed and who hasn't. And so from the sales data, we can actually see that the pipelines, uh, the sales cycles, I should say, are getting a little bit longer, meaning it's taking people a lot longer to make a decision about buying. And the first order value of a lot of services or software is actually getting a little bit lower. Um, so to me, that indicates people a little bit more wary when they buy. 
But that being said, there's still great opportunities. When they do buy, if you can impress them, they'll come through and allocate more of their budget, but they're just a little bit more careful at the moment. Yeah, that's really interesting because I, th- I think there's two points to that. One is you know, if the market is actually contracting, and I think it is too because I've got other indicators which I'll share. It's the time when most people chop marketing budget, right? Yep. Which is the exact thing they need to focus more on. If you're doing a generic cold outreach, you need to go pro. You need to go professional, at least get trained on it or have someone do it for you. Uh, if your traffic is diminishing in its effectiveness and you're competing with everyone else in the other platforms, cold is still an area where the big boys play, the big girls, the big boys, but there's a lot of people not participating in it. I think it's still like quite fertile for taking advantage of. The other thing, yeah, my indicators are secondhand surfboards start <laughs> dropping in price, right? I'm seeing them drop in price. Mm-hmm. Surfboard shops are sending out promotions and trying to sell stock because they're glutting up in stock. Whereas during COVID, you couldn't get surfboards. They were sold out, mm. right? Real estate agents are calling up. Hey, are you interested yeah. in selling that property of yours or, or getting a new appraisal? I'm getting letters in the post from the real estate agents. I'm getting called up by car services saying, hey, your car's due for service. Would you like to book it in? Well, that's never happened in my entire lifetime, right? <laughs> Facebook community groups, you're hearing a lot of the parents saying, how does anyone afford uh, you know, to pay the energy bills or to, to pay for rent or whatever? Like, you're just tapping into that general community, the, the rest of the, mm. the market, normal people. Uh, like I would consider them. <laughs> There's a lot of feedback, right, on that. Or mm. sold out cars are now starting to free up and become available much faster. Deals are falling over. Yeah. There's obviously endless interest rate rises and, and uh, pressure in the market there. Mm. So I think the arms get shorter and the pockets get longer and people aren't going to spend their money as easily. And I think if you're thinking B2B, like you said earlier, it's somebody's decision, it's somebody's role to be good at making these procurements and, and spending for their business. So you have to be especially professional and crafty to win their trust and get them on side or even to get through to them in the first place because they're going to be basically looking for reasons to say no at every step of the way, whereas our goal is probably just to help someone make a decision. But we have to let them know that a decision is, is available uh, in the first place by being there. It sort of leads me to the next step is regulatory considerations. If we're building a target database and sending out an email, what kind of uh, legal requirements are there? And I'm not, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I know you're not a lawyer either, right? I don't think you are. (laughs) (laughs) So this isn't legal advice, but I imagine that there are certain regulations in terms of what you can send to people. Yeah, absolutely. So I would start off by giving, um, you know, very concrete advice, which is don't cold email in Canada and also Germany. Two countries that are very strict in cold emailing, they don't like it. There's no point getting into trouble to do it. Now, my entire philosophy with cold email is one, don't hurt your business to do it. And two, don't lose clients to chase leads. So obviously don't, you know, comes to the very first point. If it's going to hurt your business, if you're going to get fined, if you're going to ruin your reputation or get into trouble, it's just not worth doing. There's other avenues to get leads. So Canada and Germany are two countries that are that we don't cold email into because they're just not really friendly with it. In most other countries or English-speaking countries, such as Australia, the US and Canada, New Zealand. Um, well, hang on, not Canada. <laughs> oh, sorry, Jason. No, sorry. I'm in the UK, so not Canada. Let me take it back. Not Canada. Australia, US, UK. UK was what I meant. <laughs> and then New Zealand. Definitely not Canada. 
in those countries, there's a few things you've got to be really um, you know, paying attention to. So here's some guidelines. And again, I'm not a lawyer. I have consulted to lawyers and brought them in to look at all of this. And we actually do work with law firms to call EMA for them. And a lot of big companies, right? They would have mm. in-house legal teams who check and vet things. Yeah, exactly. So what we look at is, or you know, the reason why I think Cordima is pretty safe is if you do it this way. If you give them an easy way to opt out, right? If you have a link in that people can click or they can just reply and say, hey, stop emailing me and you stop immediately. That's the first thing you've got to have. The second part you've got to have is relevancy. So you can't be emailing something that's completely outside of the person's role or has nothing to do with it, right? If it's not relevant to their business and what they do in the work, you shouldn't be emailing them. I mean, it's good practice anyway, right? You shouldn't be doing that just because they won't reply, but also legally, you shouldn't be doing that in terms of relevancy. Now, the third thing is you should only be emailing them at the business or the work email address. So don't call email people at the Gmail or the Yahoo addresses. It's just not really good practice. And besides, you know, the email servers like Google, for example, are really, really good at picking out what a cold email looks like, and that'll damage your server or send their reputation. So just don't send it to Gmails. But if you can have all three things, if you have an easy way to opt out, if you're sure that your message is relevant to them and their work, and also if you're emailing them at the work address, then you should be fairly safe. Love it. So moving on, let's say we've targeted this correctly. We're on board with cold email. We've chosen who we're going to send our message to. We've crafted a message. We're sending it in an effective, legally compliant way to the right countries. How do we actually measure success? Like what are sort of the indicators that we would look for to know if this is being successful? Yeah, that's a really good question because a lot of people brag online about we've got X open rate, X reply rate. And look, I'm guilty of it a little bit myself. When we get a good reply rate, I love sticking up online. But ultimately, what it comes down to is actually the return on investment. So, Hi, I'm James Schramko, host of this podcast. Imagine having a mentor who can help you boost profits while working less. Perhaps someone who's coached over 3,000 entrepreneurs, including icons such as Pat Flynn, Ryan Levesque, Molly Pittman, Tom Breeze, Justin Brooks, Chandler Bolt, Andre Chepron, and Ezra Firestone. With my highest level private coaching clients making an average of $6,830,000 a year, I've proven I've got what it takes to help you scale your online business. By joining James Schramko's mentorship program, you'll have daily access to me and a vault of proven playbooks. You'll receive real-time data on what's working now in your market to always keep your business moving forward. If you're already making at least $10,000 a year with your online business that you want help with and you're driven and passionate about more than just making money and you have a great product or service, my James Schramko membership might be for you. And the best part, there are no lengthy contracts and because I can get you results, you can invest as you go with confidence. So don't spend your weekends hunched over a computer working. Join my membership today and build your thriving online business, bringing you fantastic income and letting you live the life you want passionately. So the sooner you join, the sooner I can help you. I look forward to working with you. Go to jameshramco.com forward slash join. Now, enjoy the episode. While the numbers are nice, if we can make a client a lot of money from an email sequence and the open rate is only 10%, it's still a pretty good sequence if it makes a lot of profit. So what our core metric or our North Star metric is return on investment. So the clients that we work with, we actually go and track the leads further down into the sales funnel to look at who's converted and across what period of time. So for example, we know that most of the leads coming through from cold emails, they'll take maybe 30 days to close and the closing value for that particular client is X amount. So we know that if we send a particular number of cold emails, 
will get them five or ten x or a hundred x return on investment over a three month period, for example. Uh, so that becomes a really easy thing to track. And if that return on investment is correct, nothing else before that kind of matters. Yes, you always want to be improving. Yes, you always want to want to be split testing. But if you've got a ten x return on investment, everything else is kind of okay to just leave and just scale up. Now, if the return on investment isn't there, right? If the sales aren't flowing through, we've got to look at well, how many sales calls are being booked. And from the sales calls, we've got to look at, well, okay, if we're not getting enough sales calls, what are the reply rates? And if the reply rates are low, we've got to look at, well, is it that we're not getting the emails opened? And if the emails not getting opened, well, then that's what we've got to fix. So it's kind of like a step-by-step process that we work on going backwards to figure out how to make our clients money from cold emails. Well, even further backwards than that is like, how good is the sales conversion, right? Isn't this something that comes up? Oh, mm. my leads, the leads are no good or whatever. Like, is that a feature of the targeting or the sales team not being trained or being too slow to follow up? Yeah, we've actually got a bit of a trick, I would say, around this because you always get the clash between sales and marketing. And I see us as someone who's an intermediary. Like we work across both, right? We work with marketing on the copy and the emails, but really it's the salespeople who handle the leads. So we kind of sit firmly in between. And the way that we do it is we get buy-in from the sales leaders and the salespeople we show them the list that we build and say, hey, if we can get you conversations with these people, would you be happy? And they've got to sign off first before we send a single email. And generally, they'll say, yep, those are amazing leads. If you can get us contacts with those companies, you're golden, everything's good. And then we actually show them the email message, right? Because sometimes uh, when it's a bigger company, sales might not see the marketing message or marketing emails, and they might just assume that you know the wrong thing's being said. We actually show the sales team what we're writing and sending out and say, hey, if one of your leads who you've already said are amazing contacts, if one of these people reads this message and they reply yes to having some kind of interest, do you classify that as a sales qualified lead? Like, is that a good lead for you? And I'll typically say yes. So once we get signed off across both and they've got the leads, you know, sitting there in pipeline in the calendars and they talk to the leads and they show up on the phone call, it's really hard for them to turn around and go, well, the lead quality is rubbish because they've approved the leads. They've approved the messaging. They've got the phone call. So now we know, hey, it's actually a sales issue or this one particular sales person hasn't converted these leads while their colleagues have. So we get a little bit scientific with it, especially with the bigger, um, uh, our bigger clients. We can get a lot of good data about you know, sales performance and also lead performance as well um, off the back of what happens after something's come through the pipeline. Right. And if the sales team just aren't converting, then you could address that and say, hey, listen, I think here's somewhere to work on. Is a lot of this process happening outside of the company or are you using some of the company's assets? Like, for example, if you write the email, do you compile the database and send it from an outside system and then it, once they book into the system, it, that's when it enters into the company or do you send it from the company's email system? Uh, we, we always buy uh, separate domains to send code emails from. And the reason for that is because uh, there's a few good domains in the reputation which means that if too many people mark your emails as spam, it could actually affect the domain and how other email servers like to receive the emails from those domains. So just, you know, hasn't happened to us, knock on wood, um, but as an extra security measure, we actually buy separate domains so that things like invoices or things like emails to current clients don't get flagged as spam. We actually host everything separately. Now, once someone's replied yes or they've booked in for a sales call, then we actually move it through to our client CRM systems. But before that, there's no point in mudding the database and adding something that shouldn't be in there. We just keep everything separate. I know when I receive emails, I hover over the send from address to see if it's spam or not. Mm. How will a regular person determine if that's official or 
a fake cloned account? Yeah, so that gets a little bit tricky because you can tell by looking at a domain and generally if it's not a .com, that shows me, okay, this might be from a domain that's set up just for cold emails, which isn't actually a bad thing. What we do for our clients is we set up the separate emails and then we redirect all the different um, domains to the primary domain. So if you actually enter the domain that you see on the email itself into your address bar, it should push you through to the actual legitimate website. Nice. Um, so that's one thing to look at. Yeah, it's all these little things that are going to make such a difference to the effectiveness of the campaign. Could you just share a couple of examples, maybe an example of someone you've done this for and then an example of someone you've set up and helped them. I mean, when you said to me that you're showing the salespeople the message that got sent, my first thought was that would be like showing them the gold, right? <laughs> they could just take that gold and reuse that asset over and over again forever if they knew how to actually send out the emails and how to target people. That's a good chunk of IP. And I believe that's what you're either doing for someone or teaching someone to be able to do for themselves, right? I'd love an example, a case study of each, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, Just putting on the spot here. No, that's okay. That's completely fine. Um, So I would say, I'll give you an example of a client that we did this for, because this is probably one of our most successful campaigns in the amount of money it's returned for a client. So they're a um, financial services business that works with some of the biggest, you know, they only work with listed companies. So they've got a unique spin on how they raise money for businesses and they work with, you know, giant corporations to get them more funding. So we ran a campaign for them where we approached a lot of CEOs, 500 CEOs and also CFOs from Australia's top, uh, I say a thousand companies. And we got, I think it was open rates of about 76%. Reply rates of 42% from the top CEOs, multi, multi million dollar pipeline. I think in the first 90 days, they closed a deal that was worth about 300K or like 400K or something like that, something crazy. And they had subsequently tens of millions of dollars, I believe, in pipeline built from our campaign. So that one stuck out to me because we were going off the top end of town. And it just shows that, you know, even at the very biggest companies, if you have the right messaging that gives them value that's personalized to each person receiving it, and get some really great results. So that was a really cool campaign. Uh, we looked at um, each CEO and looked at their previous history, knowing that each client could be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. We looked at the CEO's previous history. We looked at the current share price of the companies. We looked at you know news that came out about the companies and use that to make an inference to give one or three messages. So this was very much a campaign where we set up with multiple messaging depending on the type of clients or depending on the relevancy. And we sent different ones based on you know, what uh, the course of action was for that particular client. So that one worked amazingly. An example of the client who we taught them this and they took it and ran it and just were super successful. Probably our most famous client, actually, a client by the name of Airwallex, which if you're in Australia, you probably have heard of them. An absolute unicorn story. I think they've got about a billion dollars of funding now. So like massive, massive unicorn, $250 million of revenue per year, I believe. And we helped them when they were growing from about three or four people in the sales team through to, you know, now they've got about a hundred people in the sales team. So we actually taught them our system of here's how we go and find leads. Here's the messages that we sent. And we consulted them every step of the way in terms of building the campus marketing with the A's, B's and C's. And so that was a pretty good example of like, if you can give your sales team the right enablement and just give them the operating system to run it and also the support by way of virtual assistants to run it for them, their sales team can now focus on doing the, the stuff they're really good at, which is you know talking to people on the phone. So we 
in effect, helping build the entire lead gen process where the VAs would go in, push the leads through, get the replies, book them into the calendars of the salespeople, and then help the salespeople to go through and close based on the messaging that was sent out. Love it. So that's a huge impact. There's a trend here, isn't there? Big companies who have sales teams are probably going to be investing in outreach, cold outreach, cold emails, Mm. B2B lead generation core 101, right? Big company stuff mm. brought to the little guys. Yeah. So who should be reaching out to you? You're going to be offering your best performing email templates based on mm. 1.23 million emails sent. Uh, we send an email to info at growthlabs.com. And who should be talking to you about getting help to either have you run cold outreach or to learn how to run cold outreach? Yeah, um, great question, James. So typically there's two types of companies that we help. So one we've spoken about, which is like the bigger corporates who have got the sales teams and they just want more leads fit for them. So we run the end-to-end process for them and we just help them to get more calls booked. The second type of clients that we're actually working with more and more now and seeing some amazing results are actually smaller businesses. So for example, we're working with um, a consultant at the moment who helps corporates go and get better rates on things that they buy. And, you know, she's seeing really good results in terms of how she's structuring things, what offers she's putting to market. We've got another company at the moment who is, uh, they kind of do corporate coaching and they've used our code emails to actually go and get clients within the first two weeks. We have a particular email that we send out or get all of our clients to send out in the first two weeks uh, without even having any code email system set up. And from that email, their company's actually got paid clients. So that was being pretty amazing. We've got other SEO agencies on there that we've consulted to and have got really good results for as well. Other agencies, designers. Um, so really, if they're in kind of, if they're still to other businesses and there might be a smaller business, i.e. one to 10 people, this kind of system still works really well. And we've got the data to kind of back it up as well. Love it. Will Wang, growthlabs.com. That's growthlabs with a Z. I always, always say that. I imagine you've got some snow fields that won't ski themselves. You, you better get out there and hit the pow pow. Yeah, I think the uh, I think the powder definitely needs to be taken care of. So <laughs> I'll get out there. <laughs> All right, this is episode ten twenty five. I've been chatting to Will Wang. We've talked about why cold email, the fact that big companies are doing it, and if you're not doing, it, you're probably missing out. We talked about setting up those cold emails, like who are they going to be sent to? What are you actually going to write? Which country should you not send them to whatsoever? What kind of tools you might have in place, where it happens in terms of before or after the, the client database, who's getting great results, what a great result looks like. Uh, return on investment, of course, is a good one. I always like a dollar spent to get more than a dollar back is a simple metric that uh, I live by. You got any questions about this? Just email Will. He's really generous uh, and, and he, I'm sure he, he knows a lot about this stuff. So, Will, thanks very much. I hope to have you back in a future episode and we'll cover even more on this sort of topic. Absolutely. Thanks so much, James. Always good talking to you and catch you again soon. Thank you. This is James Schramko. 